0: Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN
1: and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who, along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. On our panel today, we have Denny Batchvarova, SVP of Strategy at USC, Duncan French, VP of Performance at the USC Performance Institute, Forrest Griffin, VP of Athlete Development at the USC Performance Institute. And our moderator is Matt Kenney from ESPN. This panel will run for 45 minutes and will include an additional 10 minutes of Q&A. Please submit questions for our, moderators, uh, for our moderator and our panelists using the hashtag KnockoutAnalytics via Twitter. Take away, Matt.
0: Awesome, uh, hey everyone, uh, thank you Tim, uh, thank you to Jess and Daryl and the entire MIT Sloan team for, for having us today. It's, it's an absolute treat and privilege to, to be here and to participate in this conference. We have a, we have a fantastic panel lined up. Uh, the, the timing for this conversation couldn't be any better. Uh, the popularity of the UFC uh, continues to grow worldwide. And among the UFC's many accomplishments, they've revolutionized the use of data and analytics in the sport. So our, hope, our goal is to use our time together today uh, to really dig into how the UFC utilizes data and analytics, the role of the UFC state-of-the-art performance institute, and to look ahead to, to things on the horizon. And so we, uh, we couldn't be happier to be here. Just some quick background on on our panelists, which I think will help set the table for our conversation, um, which we expect to cover a wide variety of topics. So we'll, we'll start with Denny. So Denny leads all of business development and strategy for the UFC. There's hardly a big decision at either UFC or Endeavor that Denny is not a part of. And so we're very lucky to have Denny with us today. Duncan French has been at the forefront of athlete performance for more than two decades. He is widely regarded as an expert in high performance. He is responsible for athlete interfaces to more than 600 UFC fighters globally. In addition, he oversees both UFC performance institutes, one in Las Vegas and the other in Shanghai. Duncan, thank you. Thank you. Last, but certainly not least, we have a mixed martial arts icon with us today. Uh, Forrest Griffin (laughs) is a two-time, I know, I I think I'm out of striking distance, so I should be all right. So Forrest is a two-time UFC Hall of Famer. He is a former UFC light heavyweight champion. He is also the winner of the, the inaugural season of the Ultimate Fighter, which is the UFC's reality show. Uh, and we are coming up on our 30th season of the Ultimate Fighter uh, in just a couple of, couple of months. Um,
2: so- You can see it on ESPN.
0: ESPN Plus, exactly, ESPN I love so. it. Yeah, Forrest is, is a great teammate in that regard. So uh, in, in addition to obviously his in-octagon accomplishments, Forrest participated at the early onset in the development of what would ultimately become the UFC Performance Institute. And then once the PI was formed, Forrest is responsible for athlete services there. So Forrest, thank you and welcome. And panelists, thank you for making the trip from Las Vegas. So uh, here we go. Um, touched on in the, in the uh, remarks briefly that the UFC is just on an absolute tear on almost every commercial metric that you can think of. Uh, and so, Denny, the first question is for you. As you look at the UFC's success, what are, what's really driving the growth of the UFC and the success that the promotion is enjoying. Uh,
3: Thank you, Matt. And First of all, appreciate the introduction. Clearly, we're gonna be buying the drinks tonight. (laughs) Um, And uh, very excited to be here as a data-minded person, a great fan of this community, so excited. And thank you for inviting us to be part of the panel. And uh, for all of us, it's a real pleasure and uh, privilege to be here. Before I dive into answering your question, if I could take a step back for some of you in the audience who may not be as familiar with UFC, Um, we currently have 42 million fans in the United States. Globally, we have close to 690 million fans. Our content reaches close to a billion households in over 170 countries. Uh, It's broadcast in over 30 languages. we're big. I mean, what what used to be the big four in the U.S. I uh, I like to call it the big five now, and we're not number five, if you know what I mean. Um, so, granted, I'm a little biased. I think what we've been, you know, we've come a really long way over the last um, 29 years. We're celebrating our 30th anniversary next year, and for a small, you know, for for a very young brand, we've come a long way, and we still have a lot more to go. But to to answer your question, I think at the core of it. We stay true to our product. We deliver the most exciting combat sports competition in the world. Um, Day in and day out. We deliver competitive matchmaking. We deliver the fights that fans want to see. I mean, this Saturday is a great example of that. And um, you may not know the fighter names, but you know that when you're tuning into a UFC fight, it's going to be electric. It's going to be um, utterly entertaining. And, And that's really key. I think another piece that I uh, probably could touch on is introducing women in the UFC in 2013, um, and we're very proud of the fact that when we did make the decision to introduce women to MMA, we did it in completely equal footing with with the men. From the rules, the octagon, the fight cards, promotion, compensation—you know—we pride ourselves being a leader in the space and maintaining it to this day. Um, and we've always had a female audience, but introducing women's competition allowed us to um, make women a growth factor in our in our fan base and today we have you know 33 percent of the fans in the US are women which a lot of people find surprising they they tend to think of us as a as a male dominantly sport um, continuously building stars you know from the chocolatedown Forest Griffin era to George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva and Ronda Rousey and Connor, and now we're talking about Adesanya and Kamara Usman and Amanda Nunez, Juliana Pena. That has always been part of our DNA. And most recently, our partnership with ESPN. I mean, there's a reason why you guys are the leader in sports media. Um, it's, it's not only being introduced to your audience, but also the storytelling that you bring to the sport, the narrative, the language, uh, just really diving in and, and, and embracing us and making us part of the ESPN uh, and Disney structure has been uh, game-changing for us. And last but not least, I would say um, a lot of people point to us uh, returning as quickly as we were during the pandemic. <coughs> I like to think of it as um, having Dana White as the leader of the organization. I mean, he has an unstoppable mindset that translates in the culture of the company. And you know, some will call him crazy, and some will call him a genius, and he's uh, probably both. Um, he, the, the, his relentlessness is really what translated through the entire organization for us to be able to um, resume having live events in mid-May of 2020 when there really was no competition for us. And so we got to reach an audience that typically would be a little too busy to pay attention and we've been able to keep them and we're still reaping the benefits of that.
0: Yeah, it's outstanding. It, it, is, it is remarkable to, to reflect back as we're coming up on the, the two year anniversary of, of you know the period of time where the world shut down and the, the craziness uh, that we've all experienced since then. But to see the resiliency of the UFC to carry on was uh, is pretty, pretty remarkable. So as we, as we pivot into, into data, uh, could you talk about how the how the UFC thinks of data, how impactful is data in terms of the decision making on a day in and day out basis?
3: It's very impactful on a number of levels. Um, you know, from understanding our fan base and where the growth opportunities are to formulating marketing plans for each of our pay-per-view events. As you know, they're all different. Right. To uh, UFC Fight Pass, our global OTT network, and anything from analyzing content to subscribers to, um, you know, even not necessarily just for for decision making, but also for um, storytelling and our broadcast, for um, fan engagement, sports betting. I mean, that's a that's a growth area that we didn't touch on. The official UFC data being available through IMG Arena and last but absolutely not least, the, the reason why we're here today, using data analytics at the UFC Performance Institute to evolve the sport of MMA.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, the UFC Performance Institute. It, you know, and this is really for, for Duncan, Danny, and Forrest. You know, just talk about the, what went into the decision to launch the UFC Performance Institute, and subsequently its expansion.
3: And I'll jump in here and hand off to Duncan. But it really was that, the idea that we have to evolve the sport. I think if there are any longstanding fans here in the audience, they'll tell you about um, a period, and I'm almost even afraid to say it out loud, but the, the injury bug, knock on wood, it never returns. Uh, 2013, 2014, you know, there was a period of time where the fighters just weren't making it into the octagon. They'll get injured three, two weeks before a fight, which is very disruptive, as you know, losing a main event or a co-main event. Um, to To an event, and so they're obviously they were training hard in order to be the best that they could be when they step into the octagon but you know when you think about some of the other sports like the NFL it used to be they would train full speed with pads five days a week well they don 't do that anymore, and why that is is because they evolved the thinking about how you get to be better at, w- at what you do and We didn't have that within the world of MMA, so as the leader in the space, we thought that it was important to invest in the future, so we built the Performance Institute. We found the best team on the planet, and we let them lose.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Denny just touched on, you know, part of our mission statement of the Performance Institute is to accelerate... The evolution of MMA and that's very much what we're trying to do um, you know it's 29 years old professionally of which Forrest has been part of that legacy but as a sport it's very infantile um, when you look at hockey or football or baseball, you know, these other leagues have got, you know, reams and reams of insights and data over years and years of aggregated insights. Whereas, you know, understanding training science and the most optimal ways to prepare um, for our sport, um, like I say, is just not there right now. And I think that's what the Performance Institute is about. Um, You know, looking at how we mitigate some of those risk factors that Denny talked about with respect to, um, you know, injuries, preventable injuries, the mechanisms of injury, um, looking at you know, making weight, which is part and parcel of our sport, is a critical optic for the public of how athletes can go into the octagon in an optimized, optimized physical state, having you know, just cut weight the day before, you know, 20 to 30, 24 hours earlier, and, and you know, what that does to their physiology. So there's lots of questions within our sport that the Performance Institute was set up to answer, and at the crux of that, like any business, like any sport, is, is asset management. Um, and that's the way we really see it. Our assets are the fighters that, that, you know, go into the octagon on a Saturday evening. And how does the uh, Performance Institute or the UFC as a whole go about supporting them um, within the parameters of a combat sport and, the, you know, the rules of, of what combat sport is? We still want it to be done in, in the safest, the healthiest fashion possible, but we want it to be exciting for fans. And we want our athletes to go in there and, and, and perform, you know, to their optimal capabilities. So that's really what the Performance Institute was set up for. Right.
0: And then, and of course, you you were you participated in a, in a group that was that was evaluating the, the UFCPI before it became the UFCPI. And so, just you know, curious your thoughts. Given where we are today, has it met or exceeded where you thought it would be? Oh, even it, in those early no,
2: days. honestly, it has absolutely uh, exceeded my expectations. But you know. My expectations were pretty low. I really had no idea that there were people this smart that could, you know, help us revolutionize the way we train. And you know, I hate the, I hate that like, ah, train smarter, not harder. But yeah, there's a little bit of that. You know, you have to at least train smart. You know, everybody goes in, everybody works hard. Now you have to work smart as well. Right. Fortunately, you didn't have to do that in my day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, as, we, as we look
0: at the in-octagon performance for the athletes, you know, could, could you describe the types of data that you're able to collect,
2: and, and what do you see? Yeah, well, I got a good one. So in a fight, there's going to be a winner and a loser, and it all starts from there. So there's <laughs> about 170 metrics that are captured. They're not all super useful from, uh, and he'll talk about physiological standpoint, but from a tactician standpoint, they're not all super useful, but I break them down into four categories. So you've got striking, you know, type, strike by type, and then attempted landed. You've got your takedowns by type, and then attempted versus landed, and then the percentage. And then you've got ground control time, right? So what position for how long, right? All these also affect the scoring outcome. Uh, or excuse me, the judges scoring criteria, right? So they, if you go to a decision, they're gonna increase the chances that you win that decision. So that's something else guys have figured out is, it helps to play to the judges, to the actual rules of competition. And then the last category would be the submissions attempted versus landed.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, Forrest touched on, you know, 170, 167 different variables are actually collected for every single event for both fighters through notational analysis and then cross-validated with video and um, what we then can do in the performance institute like any league like any data you know we're going to do a, a host of different covariate multivariate analysis on that but really looking at principal component analysis co- so we can give the information to forest and our technical experts where the, the the fight is being won let's say and i think Um, You know, Forrest touched on, you know, those 167 variables. Yeah, great, you know, in God we trust, but for you, show me the data. Um, But it's got to be applicable, right? And it's got to be usable in the applied setting. And I think that's a critical narrative that we talk about at the Performance Institute is data literacy. Um, So how are we presenting it in a way that the the guys make it functional? So um, I think what's important with the way we handle the data is ultimately we can drive it into KPIs um, for each of our respective weight classes, or for each fight, or whatever it may be, so that we can really start to understand what's the nuance for each for our sport. We have 11 different weight categories, and they're all very different in the way the fight is won. And I think you know, anecdotally, you can watch a fight and suggest that a heavyweight's going to win a fight in a different way to a, a featherweight or a flyweight. But you know, we, we've got statistics, what data to support that. How the guys on the technical side then process it and use it with coaching AI or coaching strategies is, is the key to you know, bringing data and, and the art of coaching together.
0: Got it. it, it let's, let's stay on the weight classes for a second because clearly now we're getting into the, hey, one size fits all doesn't apply. And maybe in some cases it does. And so as you think about the various uh, metrics and the, the, you, know, you mentioned the 167 you know, data streams, how, um, how do you determine what is most impactful for the various
2: weight classes? The uh, the biggest sig- significant differences between like you know some of the things we've found that are impactful like ground control time strikes landed percentage of uh, striking accuracy you know uh, the things that have the difference variables be- or the different whatever the word I'm trying to say is between winners and losers yeah. bigger number that's what you want you know what what, are, what is the most significant between like you obviously a fight loser and myself a fight winner you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That wasn't part of our script for us. <laughs>
2: Although we have a gentleman
0: in the front row who has kindly offered to step in and do demonstrations if uh, anyone wants to see a rear naked choke applied by Forrest on anybody. So thank you, sir, for volunteering earlier. Uh, that was awesome. All right. So um, you know, clearly, you know, I've been I've been fortunate to uh, fortunate enough to spend time at the UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas, and it's um, it's pretty remarkable to see that the the various athletes and coaches roll through there. Um, And so hoping we can get into the conversation around how do we, how does the UFC take all of the insights that are gathered and gleaned from the UFC PI and use that to inform coach and fighter conversations to help them in their preparation for an upcoming bout or or in a, a rehab or whatever the case might be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the unique thing about our sport is individual, obviously, um, and the, there's, a, there's a lot of different variables res- with respect to our sport. Yes, we talked about weight classes, Matt. Um, stylistic backgrounds is another thing which is very predominant in our sport, whether you're a grappler, or a wrestler, or a striker. Um, you know, that really influences the way... An athlete is either trying to win a fight or what you're defending against with respect to your opposition. So I think what we're doing with data and being able to help Forrest and and the other coaches out there in the community is use data to really break down some of the metrics related to competition, using some of our PCA approaches to really understand what are the top 15 fighters in the world doing versus everybody else? Is there a trend? Is there an approach to understanding... What the fight is and how the fight in 2022, how it's been won. Because let's be honest, we've aggregated data over 15 years or so. And the, the, there's nuance to our fight. New techniques, which Boris can talk to, are, are coming in all the time. Um, so how do we, how do we understand that in, in the world of sports performance? Speed to market of a product is is comp, competitive advantage. So that's the way we see it. And ultimately, we're trying to give competitive advantage by being ahead of the curve in terms of technical or tactical insights and using that understanding of you know, what the top guys in the sport are doing, what different styles. You know, If you're a wrestler, how, how is that going to influence your approach? If, if I'm going to be fighting a wrestler on Saturday evening, what's their trend? What's their likelihood? What's their predisposition and their approach to winning the fight? Obviously, that's you know as a data conversation it's a statistical evaluation of someone's approach and then obviously interpreting that on a technical perspective for tactics is ultimately what we really feel where the rubber meets the road for the performance institute we you know we can aggregate we're in a position where we can look at population norms or gap analyses or whatever it may be but ultimately it's about these guys from the coaching perspective with the athletes building a strategy around that of how to be successful and, and how to win a fight. How do you increase the probability of success?
2: So, you know, that, that was a kind of an overview. To me, uh, on a more, like, general prep, what are we actually doing level, you have, you know, you have your different, like, where's the fight occurring? I want to distribute my practice time in accordance with where it's occurring. Now, what he mentioned is when you have a specific, spiff opponent, Pacific. yeah, you, uh, you, you then prep for them specifically, right? So this is kind of not valid for that, but in general, I'm just trying to learn the sport. Well, we know that about 70, 60% of the fight takes place at distance. We know the percentage that takes place in the clinch. This is the clinch. And then on ground, so we're not gonna get on the ground. Those <laughs> are too nice, but, but you get the gist of it. So now I know that as a coach, I should be distributing my practice time accordingly. And then you have like each position from the ground. And then you go one step further and you say, okay, what are the submissions that occur from that position? And that's why I'm, I'm super happy that, that we don't have any more data because these guys will replace us. And there's still, there's still a reason to have guys like me because now, you know, we might get that submission, but it, the position and the submission aren't actually together. So you have to actually still do, do the film work, do the study. You know, like you were saying, there's actually still a person punching this in, inputting this in. You know, uh, Eagle Eye is not doing it just yet or whatever the uh, massive okay. super computer okay. that <laughs> takes over the world is.
0: Uh, well, ho- hopefully we're getting there. Um,
2: no, I was talking about the computer from that movie that's like taking over the world. Uh, you guys had to see that one. <laughs> Which movie was that? I've, Tom uh, Cruise, maybe. what was that? Uh, there we go. <laughs>
0: I just stick with like uh, the, in the Tom Cruise realm. I'm uh, in the Top Gun and Mission Impossible, and maybe an Outsiders for some of the old schoolers uh, in the crowd. Um, all right, let's let's keep let's keep rolling here. So we, I'm interested in that uh, again. There's there's no one size fits all. I'm hoping that you can take us, and, and this is for, for all three of you to take it. or you know answer it in whatever way you would like. The the Diversity of the UFC athletes is, is pretty remarkable. Um, by far, I think it is the most diverse collection of athletes on, in any professional sports organization in the world, and it's likely that you see all different approaches relative to the work that you're doing in the data and analytics space. With the backdrop of UFC 272 tomorrow night, Can you talk a little bit about what you see in terms of athlete willingness to engage in various areas, and in instances maybe where there had been pushback on things that the data and insights have revealed, um, and how ultimately the relationship between the UFCPI and the athlete has evolved by virtue of all this data collection?
2: Well, I mean, I can start. Something that they didn't agree when they were looking at orthodox versus southpaw yeah. and the strikes that would be thrown, that didn't agree with what I thought I knew. You know, so as a coach, I'd go, like, okay, well, the, the data set really doesn't lie. You know, I'm interpreting it correctly or I'm having somebody smart interpret it correctly for me. It is not what I thought. I'm actually training the wrong things. It's not like I thought when we are orthodox southpaw, so open stance, that the rear hand would be the primary weapon. Well, it's, it's not. Right. You know, it's, gonna, it's still the front hand, the same as if we were... Uh, Orthodox, So, you know, just little pieces like that. And then the other thing you touched on, I'm probably stealing his answer, is we see uh, athletes that come in, you know, you think about just the cultural diversity, the languages, it's the most, you know, diverse sport there is as far as the athlete population. Well, each country has a subset, like, so we have a lot of Chinese fighter with Sanda background. So they are going to have the physical physical attributes of a santa fighter strong and then they're going to be weaker in other physical attributes you know you see if we're striker versus wrestler like you can tell that an athlete comes from a striking background because they have they're good at the things that you would think their striker would be versus a wrestler you know more grindy like different energy system development you know definitely a different body type and then the the key is and and like what what you know the the coaches at the pi help you do is how do i take that stay strong where i'm strong and then make my weaknesses strengths as well Duncan, clean that answer up for me.
1: <laughs> this, is my, this is my job, job tail. No, I, I mean, I, he's he's absolutely right. And, and what I would say is, you know, it comes down to individualization. And, you know, I, I don't want to teach anyone in the room to suck eggs. But, you know, ultimately, we want our data to be informative for the purpose of decision making. Um, and, again, I've touched on, you know, the, the ability of our, our clients to have an understanding of of what data means and how it's presented. You think about guys come from China or the favelas of Brazil or whatever it may be. You know the data literacy is is all over the place. Um, so we've still got to find a way to to get that messaging to the athlete and it's very much done on an individual basis. Because tactically, that's how they're going to go about, go about winning the fight. Forrest touched on you know, wrestling and grappling. Re- you know, wrestlers, we know, are going to be three, to three and a half to four times their own body weight in strength, you know, maximum strength effort. So that's very different to a striker, which is going to be about 2.6 times their own body weight. So straight away, there's a difference. How are you going to win the fight if that's, you know, that's going to be a tactic you're going to approach or you're going to be exposed to? You know, does that mean you have to change your training strategy because you've got to increase the limitation or are you taking your strength and making it a super strength? And that's the reason why you've been successful to you know where you are today. So, that's what we're trying to do with this information, with this insights, to help you know make those strategic or tactical decisions with the athletes on a day-to-day basis. But it's got to be done at a level that is digestible and and, and can be interpreted by the diverse clientele that we have, which is stylistic, it's, you know, geographical, it's language, it's emotional and social, it's, it's everything, you know, so I think the way we handle our data is, is there's not one size fits all, and I think that's what we're very proud about, right. is that we go out of our way to, you know, understand, you know, data visualization or data interpretation, the management of our information, and how we make it impactful with our client, with our end user, is, is a critical conversation in the space of, um, you know, pretty diverse clientele.
3: And, and if, sorry, but if I could jump here to yep. put the diverse clientele in perspective, yeah. we have 650 athletes from over representing over 70 markets. So um, about half of them are outside the U.S. So that's the type of um, scale of diversity that we're talking about here uh, when we when we're referring to the athletes.
2: And 18% female
3: percent female.
2: <laughs> so I was going to speak to what Duncan was saying specifically, right? So, uh, you know, the coaches, guys like Duncan, they want to arm the athlete with that knowledge, right? All right, you are subpar in these wrestling categories, but you're really good at the striking. Do you think that you can avoid this in your next opponent? You know, I don't want to get too specific, but think of a guy like Israel Asandu fighting Mario uh, Marvin Vittori. Mm-hmm. You know Marvin's the, the stronger guy and has a, you know, the the engine for wrestling. But do you tactically think you can keep that fight standing in your realm? Should you bother trying to strengthen these things, or should you just work on your strengths and avoiding his strengths, you know? And, and then they can make the decision,
0: right? It, 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 it is fascinating because as, as you think about just purely the diversity, purely you have fighters at different, uh, at, at different years into their career and varying degrees of openness potentially to next next level approaches to training development nutrition whatever the case might be it's it's got it's got to be a, a pretty interesting dynamic to, to see play out
2: well the one thing i'd say is because mma itself is a young sport there's not as much dogma right you know i'm like the second generation i'm not that old you know so it's not we don't have like hundreds of years these guys are sitting there, this is what they always did it's you know the ufc has had the, the ability to evolve during the sports science era you know, It's pretty cool, right?
1: I think that I think that's a key point as well. Again, in terms of maturity of understanding technology and data and training science, which which is what I entertain my day with. Right. Um, but ultimately, it's the law of thirds, right? Let's be honest. You know, you've got a third of our roster that really see. You know, I, I want everything. I want the kitchen sink. Tell me everything. Tell me what the data shows. Tell me the strategies, and are truly engaged. You've got that middle third who are picking and choosing in an a la carte fashion when to take information that we can support them with and how they interpret it tactically. And then you've got a third where we're still trying to bring them on board and, and, and get them up to speed with what modern day sports science and, and analytics is, is about and how that, that paradigm is moving. Um, and that, that's not uh, you know, deflate anyone on, on that lower third of our roster in terms of engagement. But it's just a maturity conversation. It's about how they can understand and interpret data and see how it uses them. Because, again, it's a pretty spit and sawdust sport. It's pretty granular at its most basic level. Um, So fighters' ability to buy in and use that information, it's, it's, it's still, you know, we've got a pretty diverse approach across our roster. Got it.
0: As you were describing the the rule of thirds, I was thinking about the the main event uh, participants tomorrow night and where they might fit. Uh, for those that don't, for those that, that are aware, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, former former roommates, uh, it's actually a, a you know probably a story best served for a Real Housewives uh, yeah. reunion. But uh, former roommates that are uh, now just bitter bitter rivals are going to square off tomorrow night. So if you're into that type of soapy drama and wanting to See former roommate's fight. Uh, we've got it for you. So.
2: Man, I wonder if they'll touch gloves. Now. Yeah, maybe, yeah, <laughs> no probably, chance. It, it, it,
0: probably not. Don't
2: <laughs> bet that they'll touch gloves. Probably you will not. lose.
0: They'll so. touch <laughs> face. Hey, well, <laughs> that we know. Um, okay, cool, let's stay with the sports science for, for a moment. Uh, and as the, as the UFC PI has grown and expanded to include Shanghai, uh, a question for Denny in terms of international. How do you think about... PI expansion, and then for Duncan and Forrest, I got to imagine there's no shortage of cool toys that you get to play with day in and day out. And just share a little bit of the the technology or things that perhaps excite you most that you've seen to be most impactful.
3: I mean, I'll take it first from an international perspective. We first of all, the the mission of evolving the sport of MMA is is not just here in the US, it is global. And we see expanding the footprint of the Performance Institute, Shanghai being the very first example of that, is really to bring that science and localize it to some of the key markets where we do believe that there's tremendous potential and we believe that they probably could use the most. Uh, you know, they, they could see the biggest benefits from that. Shanghai and China being one of those. And, and let's you know, let's face it, China is, a, is an incredibly nationalistic, uh, you know, market where you know they want to root for for their champions, and so. Uh, we do have a, a commercial vested interest in in, in helping them develop those champions, and there's other markets around the world as well. But we're we're looking at a number of locations, be it Mexico, be it Abu Dhabi, be it Australia, be it you know all over the world, where uh, we could expand the uh, the Performance Institute footprint.
1: Excellent, thank you. I mean, for all the you know cybersecurity and data privacy guys <laughs> in the room. Um, You know, putting a Performance Institute in Shanghai, China was, you know, still gives me nightmares and understanding that. But uh, the reason why I say that is because we truly look at the Performance Institute as a a global footprint. And as Denny's contested to, you know, we're expanding that footprint further, which is really exciting. But it allows us to drive intellectual property and learnings across our whole team globally, um, and data is obviously a key part of that. So pushing data internationally in systems and tools that help us to do that um, with a with footprint in China is, is challenging, let's be honest, certainly when it comes to biometrics and, and how they perceive that type of information and where servers sit and those types of things. But you asked about kind of tools and technology. I mean, yeah, listen, we're blessed, we're heavily resourced in, in our, in our um, facilities. Um, but again, it's gotta be the right tool to answer the question. Um, and, you know, and again, I'm not trying to dumb this down for anybody, but uh, you know, the, the, the world of technology is moving far faster than the world of sports science. Um, and I think it comes down to how do you slow that down Um, And make sure that there's an awareness of what is the problems that we're trying to answer. Um, And then doing a, you know, a a real thorough process of interrogating and vetting those technologies or those data producing applications that can help us find the solutions because we're, we're inundated with that type of tech. Um, but, we, you know, whether it's in the medical space, whether in psychology and cognition and reaction and vision training, whether it's in physical assessment, whether it be physiological or metabolic parameters or body composition, anthropometrics, or whether it be in strength, power, velocity, all these variables, um, you know, muscle activation, you, you name it, there's, there's, I mean, there's so many tools out there which makes my job, you know, super cool to be able to process those things. But you know, for the purpose of it, We've got about sixty to seventy core um, data streams that come into the Performance Institute kind of data mart, and within those sixty to seventy, they've obviously got subcategories of insights. Um, So you know, our our data now is, is is pretty. Big data in parts you know we've got over 50,000 nights worth of sleep recorded across a roster of 600 and each of those 50,000 nights' sleep has got you know all the respective parameters around sleep latency efficiency HRV temperature etc so you know the data just grows and grows and grows but like what's the question we're trying to get at like what like why are we doing that and again it's got to come back to the ability of the fighter and the coach to utilize it for for their benefit, which, you know, again, that's where the Performance Institute is like a a, a really cool approach because it's the scientists and the technical coaches kind of coming together and and meeting in the middle, which, um, you know, data plays a critical part of that. So, I mean,
2: exactly what he said, really, just to follow up on that, like, did this intervention, did this technology actually make them better in the octagon? Right. Did it help them not get injured? Did it help their load monitor? Like what, what was the positive effect of it, right? So data for the sake of data, not necessary, right? Like, Again, how do we identify what the key areas are? Right. Uh, question for you, Forrest.
0: Um, I'm ready. You ready? All right, I don't know if I should slide at a striking distance or not. I've seen you get up once already. Uh, so, so look, you obviously you had it an unbelievable career. Um, and the work that you're doing with the PI is on the front lines of advanced uh, data analytics, performance metrics, etc. If you could go back oh.
2: and talk to yeah, a Jane, young Jane Forrest Jane, yeah. Griffin, so, you know, what would you people, say? Yeah, people ask me a lot. They, we, I walk them through the building. And I explain what we have and how we benefit athletes. And they say, "Man, what would you have done if you'd have had this?" Well, I'd have been a lot better. I'd have, I'd have. I'd have but we all would have. Been. Nobody had that technology. Nobody knew that the idea wasn't just to work yourself into the ground. Nobody understood that you really had to like taper and and deload for. You know, we didn't really understand. And I think it really comes down to that same question that there was the initial question five years ago when we started. How do you manage a training load that requires you to train wrestling, jiu-jitsu, you know, striking, all all in the same week, sometimes in the same day, because you need to develop all those skill sets. And then you have to train the practices where you coordinate those things together. And then you have to train the physical attributes for all those practices, right? Like the strength and the power. I need that. Well, I need some endurance. I need, you know, cardiovascular, whatever. So you've got to train all those things together. So how does a guy like Duncan and a guy like myself, how do we help the athletes manage that training load? And I think that was the initial, like, problem I had that I never did right. You know, I had a great PT. I had a great strength coach He went to college and everything. Unlike, you know, a lot of guys' strength coach oh, He's the biggest guy in the gym. He probably knows what he's talking about. But, you know, I really did have good people around me. But I was the master of my own destiny. Like, I was the brains of the operation. It, not that I'm not that smart, but I wasn't that smart then. And it helps to have somebody... One, that has a PhD, but two, that has perspective, of you know, and can kind of help you where maybe you're in the situation too much. And I think that's what we provide. Right.
0: You know, it's interesting. You, you, uh, any, if anyone uh, checks out social media from time to time, there are uh, no shortage of athletes outside of the UFC that happen to stop by the PI.
2: Uh, you're just trying to get me in trouble here? No. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't post the pictures. Uh, And and so could you you share a little bit about, because again, I think this ties into just how the UFC is a leader in this space where folks from outside mixed martial arts are reaching out to the UFC for, for some type of P.I., Re- relationship or engagement. Can you talk a little bit about what you see from other sports?
1: Yeah, and, and Denny can, you know, sure can speak to the kind of organizational perspective on what, where we're trying to position ourselves. But I think, you know, five years ago, we opened the doors to the Performance Institute and Forrest and I were stood at the, in the front lobby wondering if anyone was going to come through the door. <laughs> um, at that moment, still, the ambition was to position the UFC at the table of human performance. Not to be just the leaders in mixed martial arts, which we continue to strive to do, but to also position ourselves with the ambition of you know, EPL or NFL or NBA or you know, to, to be at the table and say, no, over the fence there at the UFC, those guys are doing something pretty cool. I think that's where the Performance Institute, one of the things I'm most proud about is the, the, the speed at which we've been able to kind of establish ourselves in this really competitive marketplace of human performance. Um, and yes, the, you know, the, there's a lot of Olympian, Olympic programs, a lot of other sports, you know, athletes from other sports, professional sports that are now looking to the Performance Institute. Number one, because let's be honest, mixed martial arts is the most rigorous competition in all of pro sports. Like it's the, it's the most challenging competitive arena in pro sports. So there's something to garner and collect from that. Um, But also, like I say, whether it's toys, whether it's tools, whether it's our methodology, whether it's our approach, um, there's a lot of interest um, in in finding out how we're going about understanding human performance, health, well-being, and performance optimization. The military and special operations are now looking at what we're doing and, 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 you know, we're sharing all those insights. So whether it's, you know working in a caloric deprivation, or sleep-deprived, or, you know, as Forrest talked about, you know, load management and what that means, or whether it's looking at head trauma and head impact and using instrumented mouthpieces to collect that type of aggregated information. Like, what we're able to do with our resources is very attractive to a lot of other sports now. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the most exciting things is that we can bring those folk into our facility. And we create this melting pot of training insights and, and, and sharing um, but, yeah, let's be honest, the UFC is still trying to dominate the situation.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and we, we you know, this this uh, the, the audience questions are blowing up. So we're, we're going to quickly get to here. Just being being respectful, we'll try to get to as many of them as we can. The, the first one here is uh, how will and I'll, I'll leave it open ended and, and whoever wants to grab it, can take it. How will analytics improve the UFC talent pipeline
1: and influence matchmaking? I'll talk to the pipeline, and um, Boris can probably talk to the matchmaking. Interestingly, the, the pipe, so I come from a very Olympic sport background where there's clearly defined talent pathways, um, and the ability to aggregate thresholds and, and, and targeted standards across that pipeline is very clear. Um, to get into, you know, world-class mixed martial arts within the UFC, that pipeline is, is not very clear. Um, it's one reason why we established our facility in China, where we have a full-time academy with 30 athletes from that marketplace, we're trying to develop talent. That's where we're able to map the work that we do in Las Vegas with our current roster of 600 fighters and aggregate all all, all that findings from our current roster and obviously compare and contrast into our respective academies. So if we build one in Mexico, you know, we've now got those insights where you can look at the distribution of where someone is at any moment in time, and obviously you can target training strategies to meet those levels. But there isn't really clearly defined talent pathway in, in MMA, which, um, you know, as we try and strive to get the sport into the Olympic Games and those types of things, we, we need to do a way better job of that.
2: I mean, the the amateur mixed martial arts competitions can continue to grow you know I, I work at a local gym MMA gym and I'm like I was telling you I'm very uh, you know I'm, I'm impressed every day when I see 10 and 12 year olds doing things that I cannot do anymore like things I never even knew so the 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 kids are starting younger the talent is increasing it's a it's a new sport people are just getting into it you know I think Ronda Rousey was one of like when I saw all of a sudden I had like little girls were like on my gym mats and I was like what the heck's going on here you know so uh, you know more like talent goes where the money is right and the the notoriety you know, we're on ESPN for crying out loud. So it, people know that it's a sport; it's an option. Guys that used to, you know, strive to be in the NFL or the NBA will now say, "Well, that that's a you know a viable professional option. I want to go into that." You know. Yeah.
0: Thank Thank you for that. Yeah, these, these questions are great. We're gonna keep rolling. Uh, the the topic of, of weight cutting. Um, so how how has the practice of weight cutting changed since the implementation of data and analytics?
1: Yeah. Huge optic, and again, coming back to the pollination of the idea of the Performance Institute. You know, we can talk about the particular day when Khabib Khabib Namagomedov dropped off a a fight, um, you know, which has got a a, a financial aspect related to it. And it's like, okay, exec, we need to make a Performance Institute. I mean, that that was a real (laughs) thing that happened, and then you can talk to that. But, I mean, weight cutting, yeah, it's absolutely one of those big rocks which we have targeted. Um, through our science, through our insights, through our ability to work with the fighters face-to-face and change best practice through technology, the data that technology gives us about metabolism, about dietary status, about body composition, we can't do any of that. Uh, You know, I always say if you're not assessing, you're guessing, right? And when we're talking about pounds of, you know, millions of dollars related to one pound either way, Um, It's a big deal, right? So we want to take away the guesswork, particularly around the optic of weight cutting. We've reduced missed weights by over 50% um, in four years, Um, which again is, is a big deal when we're in a decentralized system. It's not like our 600 fighters live in Las Vegas and they're all in our facility every day. Remote impact and remote coaching is a huge part of the narrative for the Performance Institute, so influencing dietary behavior for someone that's in China or for someone that's in Brazil eight weeks prior to a fight to ensure that they come into fight week knowing that we're in an effective place to make weight. Um, It is a challenge in itself, but, you know, our our approach and our strategies and our information, our insights have certainly shifted that that narrative and and the dogma, the behavioral dogma that's been related to to weight cutting in our sport.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I think weight cutting, that's one of the biggest things. We can, with the PI, we can say, hey, your strength and power profile is this. If you're thinking about 145 or 155, you're still a pretty good 155, -er. you know, we've got all that data, you're pretty good at 155. Your lean body mass is actually more than that of most 145ers. Maybe you should actually eat, you know, have better training, gain a little muscle, and you'd be a good 55. You know, we we didn't used to have that, that real data. Now you can, okay, this is my lean body mass. This is my performance output. Which, which weight class am I best suited for? And that's that's a decision the athlete makes themselves, the athlete and their coaches, but now they're making it armed with the correct uh, information.
3: And also another component to this is, uh, you know, there's this perception of I, I have to be b- the bigger guy in the octagon in order to win, right? right? Because this is about winners and losers and, and for a set. And so we used to not have the data to actually be able to say, no, really, when you look at it, it's almost a 50-50, yeah. what are you going to win if you're the bigger guy or not, right? And so that is also something that data has been able to, um, to help us influence, to start even changing the perception of, I could be the smaller guy and I still could be successful, uh, just as successful in, in winning the fights.
2: Your weight class fit might even determine your fighting style. You notice yeah. a lot of the strikers are not as heavy as a lot of the wrestlers. Right. You know?
1: Exactly.
0: Uh, inter- an interesting question here, I, I, obviously, for those following the backstory around UFC 272. There's a lot of, a lot of trash talk between uh, America's top team, ATT. Uh, so the question, uh, one of the questions from the audience is, are there any professional fighting teams out there like ATT or Rufus Sport, uh, Extreme Couture, like any of those groups that are embracing data and uh, analytics maybe more so than others?
2: That's, I mean... I would just say, I mean, a lot of them are, I'm like more are than aren't, you know. Yep. If you're just providing information, coaches are happy to give the information. We're not telling them what to do. We're telling them, th- you know, this is what it looks like and this is how you compare to the rest of the UFC.
1: Yeah, Laura thirds again. You know, even within those gyms, you take one particular gym and, you know, they're going to have different athletes within that gym that have got different interests and desire to engage. Um, what you know, obviously data privacy is a huge, huge narrative for ourselves at the Performance Institute right. because it might be that we're working with both athletes that are fighting in the main event mm. Saturday night. We, we've got the insights to suggest, whether it's medically, physically, psychologically, what that status of that athlete is. That Like, that's critical information for competitive advantage to their opponent. So, you know, we're in a really interesting predicament in the performance institute in terms of we're agnostic to the roster of 600 we're a performance service which is very a la carte in nature you can pick and choose what you want and potentially and it happens often we're working with both fighters that are competing against each other i don't think that happens in any other league i don't think that happens in professional teams. right so our ability and the maturity of our staff and our team to share or not share information and with who is a critical conversation to us um, you know, we don't share information with the matchmakers, you know, the matchma- that that's our organization, we're the UFC Performance right. Institute, you see but, how we didn't yeah. just answer your
2: question, <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it's great, no, it's fascinating, I, I got a follow-up on that, we're, he, we're, he always says, and I love this, like, we're always batting 500, you know, we're always 500%, because we work with both parties, right, <laughs> so we'll we, we never have a winning record, <laughs> or losing, uh, so I want to stay on this
0: this point real quick. So in in a world where you know you have to be agnostic in a circumstance where you are working with both athletes, has that has your position has that position ever been called into question where someone might say there there's a either a thumb on the scale or a relationship one way or the other um, in any way?
1: Have you ever been around professional athletes? They'll they'll point and find an excuse or a reason for winning or sure. losing for any reason, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yes, for transparency, absolutely. Yeah. But again, we, you know, the way we handle and manage critical data and insights, like we we spend a lot of time um, discussing that amongst our team, like how we right. do that, the nature of the information we share, when we share it, it's it's a it's a real thing for us, um, and absolutely, we don't want to be the reason that something right. is gone to the detriment of a, the outcome of a fight. We want to be the reason, you know, for, on both sides that the fight is exciting. And, and again, I always say, like, our, our role is everything up until the octagon door closes, and then we sit back and go, we hope this is a good fight, right. and then the octagon door opens again, and then let's get back involved. Right. So, you know, that, that's how we kind of philosophically approach it.
0: Yes, I, I want to stay on the data, the, the data privacy point, because this is a good one. Interesting question that just came through. Uh, is sy- systematic injury surveillance part of the data package? And if so, uh, is, is there either a commitment or, or is this data available in peer-reviewed journals?
1: Um, so, in terms of the peer-reviewed journal um, on the app, on the Sloan app, I would direct you to a QR code there. We've ri- we've written an aggregated four years worth of information that you can go and find a lot of our injury audit. Um, which we've all done internally. So it's not necessarily peer-reviewed in scientific manuscript yet, though we do have strategies to do that moving forwards, But you can get a, a you know, 500-page document um, through that QR code on the, on the Sloan app. So would love anyone to, to download that as a PDF. Um, we don't have a, a Players Association, so there isn't a CBA where, the, where there's a requirement to report particular injuries. Um, as part of a, a professional organisation, but um, we're obviously doing extensive epidemiological work, looking at mechanisms of injury, the nature of the injuries, how long they are taking to you know, to be um, you know alleved and, and, and returned to play. Um, so again, just into you think about a sport like mixed martial arts and what it does to the you know the rigours of the competition and injury is is endemic in our sport. Um, yeah, we, we're building a pretty comprehensive oversight of, um, you know, injury audits and and those mechanisms as well.
0: Interesting. Um, So there's another question that just came in. It talks about the relationships with the athletes. So it dovetails a little bit on the question earlier. Uh, How do you go about building that trust?
2: So when we were, that was one of the biggest things I had. Look, if people think that our data is going to get into into the other side of the building. They're never going to come. I wouldn't, right. if if like I you know I don't want to be judged to the world. So you know that that's one of the biggest things. You, the data doesn't go anywhere. You know a lot of the stuff we do as far as nutrition and uh, dietetics, or excuse me, nutrition and physical therapy. Obviously that's HIPAA, but we treat all data like that. Like your SNC stuff. You'll see athletes post because they want to post, and if they want to do that, that's fine. If they want to share it with their coaches or if they want us, us to, that's fine. But you know, basically, you know, we're talking about injuries, and there's been injuries in the building, and I happily did not know. You know, Athlete X has a blah, blah Okay. I'm happy to see it anonymized and normalized and not know who exactly that is. Right. Interesting. And if I don't know, I can't tell anybody. That's how that works. Right. Right. Uh, we, we, are, we are rapidly
0: approaching time here. Um, one, one more uh, question from, from me. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Performance Institute and a lot of the, the great work uh, that, that's going on. You know, would we, love to hear your thoughts uh, on what are some of the what are some of the challenges? What are maybe some of the pain points that exist out there, and some things on the horizon that have you particularly excited about the path ahead?
1: You go,
3: you guys go ahead.
1: I mean, yes. So. Oh. So, so for me, it's, it's automation. You know, we, we've got some open API technologies, but we've definitely got closed uh, technologies in our facility, and I think that's what the future obviously lends itself to in sports science, that we need, we need more automation. We need to remove human resource. We need to look into kind of Bayesian-type analyses so we can do some predictive work. Um, our sport is chaos, so trying to put prediction against chaos um, is, is a real challenge. We've got, you know... Interventions with certain cool technologies and applications. I've touched on, you know, instrumented mouthpieces and how that potentially might be a a new frontier of insights around load management and and medical aspects for our sport. So, um, you know, sensors, technology is getting smaller, battery lives are getting longer, and the ability to collect in real time is really exciting for us. Um, Our athletes wear no clothing and apparel apart from a set of spandex shorts or a sports bra. So wearable technology is a real challenge for us. so looking at advancements in that type of technology is, is what's exciting me. So
2: one of the things I meant to mention earlier, what I really would like was more specifics. You know, if Duncan knocks me out, it just says punches. I need to know it's a rear uppercut from orthodox stance. You know, like, just let's get into the details, right? If you really want to make some insights that are valuable for technical, technical tactical, decisions, you have to know that, that level of detail. The other thing is, it is the most open sport theorist, meaning. Anything can happen, there's new ways to win being invented by these kids every other day. So it, it's just very quickly evolving. So what you're measuring evolves quicker. We were talking about the calf kick earlier. You know? When I fought, I was like, what is a calf kick? I kicked somebody in the calf, it was an accident. Now it's, it's a valid way to win a fight with a low risk, high reward scenario. Okay, we know that, we just fought. You know, it's a very cool sport because it is so ever changing. Mm-hmm.
3: And and this is where the rubber hits the road, I think, for us, right? Like, understanding what actually happens in the octagon, right? Because a lot of the data that we have and a lot of the the data that the Performance Institute is using is is, uh, derived from training or during training, and it's it's outside of the octagon. So for us, we we have a long history of exploring uh, a number of technologies to measure that, and as Duncan pointed out, it's very difficult. There is very limited technology that that allows us to do that without being invasive. Um, and our athletes don't really wear a lot of apparel. They have to be um, you know, completely clean. So we've come to the point where we know that the way to answer the questions that, that Duncan and Forrest are asking is really through cameras and computers. And this is where uh, you know, we're working with Disney um, streaming advanced research to, um, through cameras, using optical pose recognition technology to track what is happening in the octagon and create a skeletal model of that. Once we have that, then you know the sky's the limit. You can start um, assessing things like force and speed and power output. You can have that data that is truly happening in the action. And then once you have the data, then you can start asking questions of it, right? Like, well, if you're if you're throwing these really hard punches, are, does that mean you're stronger, or does that mean you're getting more tired faster? So it's uh, on and on. But but really, the the technology is not there yet, but we're we're. We're working on it, and we're 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 uh, hoping that it's closer than, than we think.
0: Uh, it's it's excellent. It's awesome to hear, and, and we're thrilled to be we're thrilled to be part of that Disney Streaming Advanced Research Initiative. Obviously, um, folks, we are we are at time. Uh, th- this is a conversation that I know we we could continue, and there's no shortage of places we can go. We we first obviously again just wanted to thank everybody for spending time with us today, and. Uh, you know, thank you to our panelists and for, for sharing everything that you did, the transparency and the candor. Uh, all the hard work that, that you're doing in this space is, is appreciated and recognized and, and, and you all do a fantastic job. Uh, and then lastly, again, want to thank Tim, uh, Daryl, and Jess and the entire MIT Sloan team for the hospitality and having us here today. And, uh, you know, we encourage everyone to check out UFC 272 tomorrow night on ESPN+. Plus. So have a great rest of the conference and uh, enjoy your day.